I think this is one thing the bartenders do too much is they make customers feel stupid. It's about enticing people in, introducing to new ingredients. Don't make people feel stupid. And I think that was a really important thing that I learned. Welcome to the Lush Life Podcast. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, and I bring you the how-to guide for living life one cocktail at a time. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis, the first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by cocktails ever since. Together, we'll learn from bartenders, brand ambassadors, distillers, and others why certain drinks are popular in certain cultures, how to make the perfect old-fashioned, when to shake and when to stir, and so much more. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let the fun begin. Lush Life Podcast has some exciting news. We thought you could only hear music on Spotify. Well, we were wrong. Now you can listen to podcasts, and more specifically, Lush Life Podcast. So download Spotify, type in Lush Life Podcast, and catch up on all the episodes you missed, or were so good the first time, you have to hear them all again. I met today's guest two years ago at a mocktail tasting competition he was judging. While the competitors were stressing over the creations, I had a chance to tell him my idea of interviewing people in the drinks industry for a podcast. I think at that time I was the only person in London who hadn't heard of the famed Thomas Soden. From that day forward, Tom's become what I call my spiritual guru, always available to advise me and answer my questions every step of the way. So you can imagine how thrilled and privileged I am to have him on the program today. I don't believe there's anything that Tom can't do if he set his mind to it. He's had almost every job in the industry, but it's his enthusiasm for what he does and his giving spirit that have made him one of the best bar consultants in the world. We sat down in his bar Nine Lives near London Bridge to find out what motivates him and where his passion comes from. Yeah, so I have... um Four, four businesses, um, two established projects, two brand new projects, um, and two venues. No lives and gun makers. Gun makers is a nice little pub. It's kind of actually where I like to drink as well. So less less geeky bartender, more good pint of beer and a nice place with good music. Yeah, a lot of cocktail makers say that all they really want at the end of the day is a beer. Yeah, yeah, it's a really funny thing. Is that a lot of people are surprised when I go out. I drink, I drink good quality things made by people with a skill that I don't have. So a great quality beer, or a great quality wine, or a nice mezcal, or a nice whiskey. Just pure and simple, you know. Like I think, I think like chefs are obsessed with the provenance of the ingredients. They're, they're obsessive about where their veg is from. I think. I think a lot of good bartenders are obsessed about where their products come from. And for them, it's, it, it still remains a mystery. You know, I, I, I watch them make a cocktail, I know how to make it. And also sometimes, you know, it's not always enjoyable because you might find faults in it, but ignorance is bliss. So because I don't know how to 
the ins and outs of, dis- of brewing a beer, I'm, I'm less likely to critique it, so therefore I, I have greater enjoyment from it. So, well, let's go back to, you said that you know how to make cocktails. Mm. So, how did this all start? Hospitality for me started when I was 16 years old, um, in a British home store's cafe kitchen, washing pots. Uh, I worked as uh, as a kitchen porter for a while, a little bit of chefing, started bartending about 18 years old. Were you still at school then? Yeah, 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 weekend job. Um, 18 years old in two days I got my first bar job in a pub when I went to university I started making cocktails I had a bit of a habit of lying on my CV so I got a job in a bar because I lied on my CV because I really wanted a job at this pub so I said that I had bar experience before so then they put me straight onto the bar and said oh you know what you're doing and you know through a bit of common sense I did now why did you really want that job in that bar um fundamentally because I was shy and working behind a bar forced me into a public arena where I had to interact with people. So therefore, it also gives you a barrier between you and another person. So therefore, you it, it allows you to converse with people a little bit easier. It's like, it, it, it's, I'm, I'm the sort of person that if, if I need to learn how to swim, I'm, I'm going to jump into the deep end because you, you are the single swim, you know? And, and I think that was exactly the same with being a shy person that was a way for me to kind of get into it and that's really kind of how I started and so like, you didn't want to be shy anymore no 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 no, no I didn't you know I, I still am intrinsically quite shy I mean a lot of people when they when they know me they laugh about that I don't like calling people I don't know basically I don't like having conversations like that it's really weird but then if you get me I jump in at the deep end and you're like oh my god this guy's crazy like he's dancing on the table you know like yeah so Chalk and cheese. All right, so you got this bar. You lied, you got the job. I got into the pub. I worked at the pub. I did well there. Then bartended at university. Um, I used to... A real pivotal point for me making cocktails was I used to spend a lot of time snowboarding. So I was sponsored and I used to... I was pretty much a snowboarder. And then I moved to... I, then my parents moved to London and I went to London... Um, I applied for a job, they made me head bartender, I didn't really ask to be head bartender, they made me head bartender. I think I might have lied on my TV again. Um, so I went into that role, met a girl, fell in love with a girl, decided to not go back out to the mountains where I had a job as a bar manager in a particular venue out there, and then I ended up uh, working for a company called The Match Group. Okay, all right, we're going way too quickly here. Oh, sorry. All right, we have to back up a little. Um, so you got the job in the pub. I'm still back in the pub. Yeah. Um, and it was obviously something that you enjoyed. You yeah, thought, I'll absolutely. have some of this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh-huh. I think so, it was, it, it's, it, it's a wonderful thing because fundamentally when you break it down, your role is to make people happy. And what is not to enjoy about that? And I think this is one of the things, I think a lot of different people obsess about different things within the industry. I've never really massively obsessed about drinks. For me, I obsessed about the environment and interaction with people and making people happy. That, to me, is fundamental what bartending is about. And you found the tool of cocktails, the way of making people happy. Because there's lots of jobs where you can make people happy. Yes, uh, I think... But you, did you feel that this was something that you were good at and this something that you loved? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, oh, absolutely. It was all of this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you ever think I'm like. Yeah. I, 
I think if you're successful about in something, you don't really. I think, I think to be really successful at something, you need to constantly critique yourself and wonder whether you're doing a good job, because then that constantly makes you strive to be better. And it's a constant imbalance between I'm proud of this, but that bit's not good enough. That that kind of seesaws you back and forth, and that's what causes you to innovate and drive forward and consistently be edgy about it rather than be complacent. So. I definitely did enjoy it, but I was always wondering. I, I've always had a really hyperactive mind, so I was consistently wondering how I could do things better. Even since the time of washing pots in British home stores, I was just in my mind. I thought, well, I can't. I, yes, you don't want to be here, but at the same time, I can make this entertaining for myself by analysing how efficiently I can wash pots and pans. And likewise, any job that I've ever had, I've continuously looked at how I can break down my role and make it better. Had you been continuing your studies while doing this? Yes. Or, yes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So at yeah. the same time you were studying, what were you studying? Um, when I went to university, I was doing business and finance. Mm-hmm. Mm. Which I did. I did. I did one year of, and then... I became completely disillusioned because fundamentally I had realised in... I'm very lucky. My, my dad is kind of, is kind of a... Um, does a lot of psychology. He's, he's a, he's, he uses psychology in business, business consultant, etc. So I think being in an environment where you are thinking about thinking, medical admission, a lot. You know, you're thinking about thinking, you're analysing how you think and feel and as, as a young man or young anyone you, you, you're kind of lost because you're like I, I don't know what I want to do I think that's a classic question and my, my dad turned around to me and said I was having a conversation with him because I was getting really disillusioned with university because I was I was doing modules and I remember one in particular it was international marketing and I'm like hey man this is this is this is BS this is like if I'm in a position where I'm doing international marketing then I would have had enough experience to do that and I think it went from learning about tangible things such as accountancy and, and, and something that's applicable for you and a tangible a skill which you can use tangibly within your workplace to becoming hypothetical at which point it became it was a disconnect between learning skills and learning something to, to get a piece of paper to say that you can learn that during this period of time, my dad turned around to me and said, well, okay, if you don't know what you want to do, how do you want to feel? And so my, my answer to that was, I wanted to feel like I'd accomplished something. I wanted to feel like I'd built something that I'd actually tangibly had something that I could say, I, I made this in my life. At which point, I then retrofitted that feeling back to the particular businesses that I had or particular businesses that I had in my mind. And I looked at that and then I then kind of so really immediately taking the theoretical and making it practical yes yes mm. and, and then you I, found I guess you found happiness in that yeah I've seen, oh, absolutely absolutely yeah. so I've been really lucky I knew, I knew what I wanted to do since I was, since I was like nine, well, 19 20 years old and I think and I think the great thing is is that you know I've changed role within the same industry multiple times and each time it's always still been a tangible element for me it's always still been I know, does this fit to how I want to feel? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. And I think that is always, although your profession might change because having worked as a bartender, bar manager, all the way up to 
consultancy and all those sort of things, you can continuously reference that back again and say, does that fit with how I want to feel? Yes, it does. No, it doesn't. And actually, the funny thing is, is, and this is the really weird thing with light, and this is the really good thing about having a reference point like that, is that you can have a job which at one point filled that fulfillment and then at the next point it doesn't. At which point you then know, okay, it's time to change. So your five-year plan is more like a feeling in five years that you continuously want to have Absolutely. as opposed to, you know, I want a bar on the street in here oh, yeah, and yeah. be my own boss. So. My, my, my five-year plan can be boiled down to something very, very simple. My five-year goal is that I want to be able to wake up in the morning, take my kids surfing, cook them breakfast, take them to school, do work, then pick them up and do that again. That, to me, is success. Not money, you know, money, yes, money facilitates that goal, but that is my goal. My goal is to mold my work around my personal life, and I will mold my work around my personal life by making myself indispensable within the role I do, so therefore I am able to dictate that. All right, now, yeah. back to the 20 year old who yeah. finally got it, who got it, or not finally, should I say, who got a job at the Match Group. Yeah. Um, had you, I assume, had heard about the Match Group and this was a stepping stone? Yeah, or? absolutely. So I think I was, I was, you know, I was a bit green in London. I was very new there. I didn't know how to get around. I didn't really know London that particularly well. And I turned around to a friend of mine and I said to him, what are the best cocktail bars in London? Because I was like, okay, I'm going to stay in London. If, once again, jump in the deep end. If you're going to do it, do it properly. Wait, where did you come from? I was living just north of London, a place called Hertfordshire, a place called St. Albans. Um, I'd moved a lot around a lot since I've been young. At the age of 13, I'd lived in 13 different houses for six months or more. You know, so I was completely ignorant. Um, but yeah, so I came to London and I was asked, I asked my friend where are the best bars in London. He said Match Bar and Lab. So I printed off a load of CVs and I went in. To Telling the truth this time? We won't hold yeah, you to that. No, it's all right. I, I don't know. I mean, like, I don't know, maybe. I'm only teasing. Um, probably not, but yeah. So then I went into these venues. Uh, the first, I, I went, right, the first one I want to do is, is Match Bar, it's the best one. So I walked into Match Bar and I was lucky, I walked into Match W1 and the group bar manager was sat at the bar, a guy called Sam Jevons, great bartender. Um, and he took my CV, he said, yep, cool, uh, come in. At the time, Match Group, you had to pass an exam in order to, to get a job there. So cool. Looked to my CV, said, yeah, come in, uh, you can sit the exam on this day. Uh, and I went in, and I sat down, I did my exam, I passed my exam, and then... Yeah. Was it practical or written? Written. Written. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's really funny, you know, that uh, the match group, the level of understanding, the level of skill of the bartenders in there, and the level of knowledge, is it's unparalleled to, to anywhere else, really. I mean, like, later on in, a, in another job, I as part of a criteria of coming on board, you had a written exam. And if you had someone that was that had worked in match, they would get 90% plus. Anyone else was getting 60s, 70s. So it was so tangible, uh, the difference in, in understanding. And that's fundamentally where a lot of my knowledge comes from. So I assume you passed? Yes, yes. And I you passed. were working at match? I was working at match. I went from being a head bartender in my previous job to being a junior bartender slash barback. So I worked 
Um, Monday, Tuesday is a bartender, and the rest of the week is a bar back. Um, having been a head bartender, and you know, and it did me good because it kept you humble. You know, everyone did that. You could be anyone. No one, you know, you had bar, junior bartender, bartender, senior bartender. No one started at any other level apart from junior bartender. Mm-hmm. If you want to become a bartender, you need to pass an exam. If you want to become a senior bartender, you need to pass an exam. So it was. It provided everyone with a very tangible structure, and the senior bartender exam at match there is there is, I mean, serious serious questions. You know, what is the Latin name of the uh, bat that um, the uh, blue agave plant relies upon to? Oh boy! Yeah, yeah. Name all the Bordeaux first growths. I mean, you know, you're talking, and you know, most bartenders these days don't have that level of knowledge. You know, it's like you walk into a bar and you. You, know, you yeah. thought this is it for me. This is the right place. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because because I decided when I left university, I decided that I wanted to own my own bar. And as part of that, because it's this whole thing of earning, you know, we talk about craft, and a lot of people, uh, you know, it's a fag word. Yes and no. Craft is something that has been that has had intention put into it and is made properly, not in a quick way, not in a for-profit way. It has been made with hard work, and for me, you know that that crafting gives value at the end. Because if you get a very quick promotion and stuff like that, and you've not spent time on the goal face, then the value that you extract from that, no matter how much money you're earning, is not as great as if you've earned it. So that was the thing for me, I think, that, you know, having gone from being a head bartender to being a bar back, a lot of people would kind of go, well, actually, I'm not, I'm not really down with that. Um, and for me, I was like, great, this is more time to learn, you know, like we're learning from some incredible bartenders. I mean, like, you know, like the, the group of people that, that I worked with at that particular time, I mean, some of the best bars in, 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 in the world that were run by those same guys, you know. Um, and everyone's gone on to do some incredible things. So it was a really, really special time in bars because there wasn't a lot of information around. Um, you know, that that group was so there was so much competition, but friendly competition. You know, like you used to finish work and we used to sit around someone's house drinking. You know, discussing the difference between aging, aging cognac and limousine or strong kayak. You know. And I mean, you can imagine a girlfriend just going, Are you serious? Like, I mean, seriously, why am I with you? You know, but it was kind of like it was that youthful time when we, we were really, you know, it was our life. And I, and I spent you know, a lot of time doing that. How long were you there? I was there on and off for about two and a half years. Um, I had like, yeah, kind of back and forth. I was in match W1. And then Socho, and then I came, I then went to Australia, um, worked over there, opened a couple of bars, and came back to Socho. And then I did little bits and pieces. So I did Match EC1, I've done stints at, trailer, uh, tra- uh, at Milk and Honey. Um, and then I finished up in Trailer Happiness, which was magic. How did you know when the right time to leave was? It's <laughs> a good story. <laughs> um, as as I generally find, tend, generally tend to find in life, some of the worst things, some of the things that feel like the worst thing in the world at that particular time turn out to be some of the best things. I got sacked. Oh, boy. Yeah, yeah, I got sacked. So, 
what happened was at this particular time I was homeless but not in like a bad homeless way like in a like at that particular time I came back from Australia and I'd been around and I was moving out of one flat and then I was kind of staying with my parents but it was like, for some reason I couldn't stay at my parents at that particular time so I'm managing trailer happiness on a Sunday night and I'm thinking okay cool I need to find somewhere to stay and there was a particular girl that I had been seeing and she came into the bar and I was kind of like you know I'm not really we weren't together or anything and I, I couldn't really say can I just say it yours so I kind of was talking to her and then and then closed up and then she called me and said look I, you know do you want to come say mine I'm like okay cool right oh, I'd love to say it yours and I kind of ran out the door and I remember vividly waking up I was kind of laying there I woke up really at four in the morning I woke up and I kind of thought to myself I didn't lock the office door now if I didn't lock the office door I didn't set the alarm if I didn't set the alarm I didn't lock the front door and I thought to myself I couldn't have been that stupid could I um, lo and behold I had been and I had a call from the bar manager at that particular time, a chap called Tim Stones, um, asking me to come in. And I walked in and I got suspended. Was anything stolen? Well, so this is the thing. I'd lent the CDJs to a local bar that evening called the Lonsdale. And I lent them the CDJs. So they walk, they, 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 they go down to the bar, they find the front door open, they walk downstairs and then... Uh, you know, three and a half thousand pounds worth of, of electronic mixing equipment is, is missing. Oh no. Um, so I was given my marching orders. Not quite to HR law, perhaps, but you know. Um, but I'd been wanting to get into bar management for a long time. And often I, and this is one thing that I think sometimes bugs me with the industry, is that when you have an employee that's particularly good in a particular role, you don't want to move them on because you think too much about yourself and about how difficult it would be to replace that yeah. person. Whether it's a barback, whether it's a bartender, whether it's anything like that. But inevitably you will lose them because you cannot take someone else's career and only think solely about yourself and about your difficulty in replacing that person within that role. You need to be mindful about developing their career as well. And I think that's really important. So they... Yeah, so match group didn't want to move me up um, and or there wasn't the opportunity or anything like that but this is the thing like match bartenders are just they're such a rare breed you know because you've been in this training school for you know years where you're being trained monthly by some of the best people in the industry you're not being trained by ambassadors you're trained by you know, Joy Spence, the Master Still of Appleton, or Ian Wininski, or Dave Brooms coming in to do a talk to you privately about whiskey. You know, like we've got trained by the best of the best of the best, who tell you whole category um, information, which is which is really, really important. Because you get clarity, you get context, you know, and then you can see a new brand come up and then you go, Well actually, how are you distilled? You know, what's the shape of your stills? Oh, and, you know, like, you can see you're going to get lots of reflux in that, so therefore you're going to have a light spirit, you know? So you you are a geek, basically. It makes you a geek. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you took that geekness to another bar. Yeah, then I became the bar manager of a... Once again, knuckled down. I was living up in Camden at the time, and I took a job. I got a job in Ballam, 
um, as bar manager for a very small salary because I was this maverick bartender who had lots of bar experience and no management experience and they took a punt on me and um, in Ballon zone two or three south so you know working on a Sunday night getting home at three in the morning after all the night buses to be back in the bar for 9am on the Monday morning to do your stock take and that's like a neighbourhood place I'm sure not yeah, it was. you're not in the centre of London where no. it's but what was tourist yeah you know. it's, it's, it's kind of local what, what was really good for me is that I had I had um, two managers so there was um, Lisa who now owns this venue which is called Exhibit which is called a new one called Exhibit B so Lisa was the general manager and then Sarah was the assistant general manager. Lisa was very much, very good general manager. Younger than me, actually. She's incredible. Um, and she was very much on the business side, being focused on that. Sarah, who was a mum, was very much focused on the daytime, which left me as venue manager um, for the evenings and weekends. And, you know, we're talking about, it was three floors, uh, ground floor bar, um, big bar, big garden area, second floor restaurant, cocktail bar, third floor private hire space, and cinema. So my first management job, I'm managing all this. You know, team of like 15 staff, kitchen, security. So it was what I needed, you know, like, you know, stop. And I think this is the thing. Some, some cocktail bartenders start doing... They start making cocktails for a very, you know, the 5% of cocktail drinkers, you know, the people that go to Soho, they they will call their spirit, they, they you know, they're going to, they, they know exactly what they want. They'll come in and they'll call the Bronx or call the Dodden Sand or whatever. They'll, they'll call the very, very specific and they understand who bartenders are, they understand who ingredients are. That's not everyone, do you know what I mean? Um, get with the real world, get with this, you know, understand how to talk to the masses. And that was a really important learning curve for me because you go from being super geeky to realising, I don't think I ever forgot, but fundamentally you're only there to please your customer. You know, don't... Yeah, they don't care if cinnamon is from Sri Lanka or the cinnamon is from You know, know, just just make tasty drinks. Learn how how not to alienate people. Mm. Learn how to... I think this is one thing the bartenders do too much is they make customers feel stupid right they make customers feel stupid you know it's about enticing people in introducing to new ingredients but don't make make people feel stupid and I think that was a really important thing that I learned well let's fast forward a little to sweet and chilli yeah yeah um maybe quickly walk us through kind of the steps to when you decided okay it's time to be a bar consultant I think I know what yeah but sure. I, I I I have think, to do this I think it's one of those things that people go I want to be a consultant and I didn't really think that so I was working for a large company called Compass which is a large corporate case company I was working for a specific area that called restaurant associates to deal with a lot of fine dining elements now I was running all the internal bars for the Azure and doing like a small little event service and kind of doing some... And then working within that bar, I brought a really, really good team in. Um, people like Rob Poulter is still there. Douglas Graham Leia, who's now the Grey Goose ambassador over in New York, but brought them into the fold and actually had a really, really good team of some very, very talented bartenders. 
And we became a resource internally for Diageo, just like a drop-in service. They could ask about product development or drink service and stuff like this. From that, the guys from Restaurant Associates, there is picked up. Um, and in particular, a guy that ended up was really quite a mentor to me, a guy called James Stanley. He saw the potential in me and wanted to use me in other areas of the business. So from there, I worked with Restaurant Associates to do the drinks program in the British Airways lounges in Concord and First Class. Um, worked on various different projects and pitches that they did. Um, and then we designed, uh, built and put together a bar for them. So they, they got to look after Michelle Rue Jr.'s restaurant in... Um, uh, just by Parliament Square, and we opened the Pembury, which is the, the bar above it. So that was kind of, I'd done, I was kind of really the first place, I'd done work just on the drink side of things, but this was the first time I really got exposed to it. And I think one of the most important things for me is when I was working with restaurant associates, you're working for a large corporate company, I was looking after four sites, and the thing that, that, that James taught me was numbers. Every week I would sit down with all four P&Ls from, from all businesses and just screw down numbers. And it's all, you know, I think this is, this, is, this is the meaning of a true consultant. A, good, a consultant is a business consultant. It is one thing being able to make a great tasting drink. It is another thing curating a menu and creating a successful business. Because fundamentally, as a consultant, that is what you do. It is about making the correct business decision, which is going to benefit your clients. In whichever way, increasing customer service, decreasing costs, that's what consultancy is about. It's not writing a menu, it is a business consultancy thing. So that's kind of how I started to do that. So prior to Sweet and Chili, I had done about a year and a half, two years of consultancy prior to that, working on different projects and, and, and kind of doing that. I left Diageo because I went to open up a bar in Japan. Um, so I spent six months living in Japan, opening a bar called Bigfoot Lodge uh, in a place called Seco. Came back, set up my own business, um, taking some of the clients that I had worked with with restaurant associates, and then they called me up and said, "Look, I've heard that you've left. I really want to work with you." So working with companies like the Ambassador Theatre Group, um, which is the largest theatre company in the UK and about 450 sites. Um, at which point I was approached by Alan Gage from Sweet and Chili and Emma Hutchinson. We they kind of asked what I wanted to do um, at that particular time. My business partner at the time, Abdullah Pakawa, was he was kind of he just he he was the bar manager at the Pembury and he took a job with Gordon Ramsay. So he was very much still on his career internally. So I decided to kind of move off and was set something up with um, Alan and Emma. And that was about five years ago. And so we set up Sweet and Chili Consultancy, a separate company. And at that particular time, Sweet and Chili was, was kind of a different entity, very much events focused. They just opened up in Australia, but still really, well, relatively small in, in, in Australia. And more on the volume event side of things. Um, kind of, they really cut their teeth working with the likes of Bacardi, doing festivals, etc. And then, yeah, just knuckled down into consultancy and, and you know, f you know, developing it. And, I, I, you know, for me, it was always something that I kind of had in my head was that there was a really nasty feeling for me around consultancy because there were so many 
consultants that they went in, they implemented a menu in a implemented a menu in a venue that did not suit, it was overly complicated, did not back that up. And then therefore after they had left, you know, it just fails and then and then and then the venues just kind of left to suffer. So I kind of wanted to change and evolve that. Um, when you started, you know, did you ever think that there would even be a place for, you know, bar consultants and so much interest in this world, the, the world of spirits? I mean, now it's, it's everywhere. I mean, yeah. Everywhere you go, there's a cocktail menu pretty much. Yeah. I... Being a really good... I, literally, I think there's a handful of good consultants in the world. Um, and the really good consultants you don't know about because they don't, they don't, they're not there to stamp a name on, on, on a brand and go, I made this. They're the people that you walk into and it is impeccable, you know. The American Bar and the Savoy is a good example of that. That had a consultancy company involved with it, but no one knows about it, you know, and I'm not going to start saying that, you know, I'm not going to go into a lot of details, but the, 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 that is a great consultancy. And, and for me, the, 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 the venues that, or the projects that I've worked on that I'm the most proud of are things that you wouldn't necessarily have heard of, you know. And, and you know, consultancy, the world of the consultant does not lie in high-end cocktails. Because if you've got a great cocktail bar, you probably know people that can make great cocktails and you're probably very close to the owner and the owner's probably going to want to set that up. You know, the, the area that a consultant works in is, is mass. You know, it's volume. It's, it's, you know, a business cons consultant comes in where the existing business does not have the skill set that they require to do that job. So therefore, you know, the companies that I enjoyed working with most are companies are incredibly able, but they just don't have that special skill, and that's why they bring it in, you know. Um, but yeah, I think I mean people like Novus Leisure is a really good example. They're actually the company that I enjoyed working with the most, and they own venues like Tiger Tiger, um, Jewel. Um, you know, they've got a huge amount of sites. But fundamentally, the reason why they're so good to work with is because their management structure and their management training is so good that the follow-through that you provide them, you provide with the training manual and content, and they will deliver it to a T. Uh, it's one of the greatest frustrations as a consultant. You do all this great work for someone, you come up with a great menu, and then you turn up to do a tasting, and they don't have the ingredients, and the staff haven't turned up. And I'm like, I feel bad for you if, you know, like, you've just wasted your money. And you've just wasted everything because if you can't deliver on something that we've been talking about for a week, which is just to get your staff here and to provide the right ingredients so that I can train them on this, then, then there's no fail. way that you're going to deliver yeah. this. You know that they're going to fail. And almost this for me was kind of, I think, a little bit of why I started to lose my passion for it, you know? Um, because... I enjoy doing it, and I want a new challenge now. And that's why where Nine Lives was born. When do you know Nine Lives? Nine Lives was born because I think we had this space for about four years, and I had done so much of this. You know, when I'm writing a cocktail menu, or when I'm writing a training program, I have to think about how can this be translated into a mass produce. So therefore, I have to alter it. What 
So, that, so therefore, my artist, my me as the match bartender that never did events because the quality of the ice wasn't very good and I didn't have a back bar, had was was put away, and I was engaging this this kind of my, my mind more because I had to then work at how can I make this better, how can I get these unskilled bartenders in a mass volume venue to make really good quality drinks, and how can I get consistency, and how can I make this more efficient? And I lost the craftsman. Um, and I remember I was watching Chef's Table and it really sparked that in me. And I just went, actually, I just want to create something that, that is just that is just something I really, really believe in. And I think at the time, myself, Alan and Emma were really struggling with the idea of what to do with this as a space. And Alan came up with a really good idea to put our office upstairs, which is where we are now, and then the, and then the bar downstairs. Because as a venue to have two floors, it didn't financially make sense, but if you split it in two, you split the rent in two, all of a sudden, you have a venue that doesn't have to be pure profit. It can be a little bit of like, actually, let's do this a little bit better. Now, was this the easiest project you've ever worked on? Because you've had so much training and consulting other people that it was just like, oh, we've got the idea, we've got all the brains here. It took or was us, it the hardest thing you've hardest. ever done? I think it took us about seven months to come up with a name. Um, it's the hardest because it means something the most to us. You know, like I was just, I was being interviewed before and, and someone said to me, what is the concept of Nine Lives? So there is no concept. There was three friends, three friends and business partners, myself, Anna and Emma, and we decided to, to make a bar that just was right by us, you know? And, and it is, it's, it's, it's just us, you know? There is no concept. The drinks are... My favourite drinks from 16 years of, of, of bartending. The, the decor is is kind of the personification of what we believe in. Literally every little element Emma has, 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 has put intention into. And, you know, I'm not going to sign anything off unless he believes in it. You know, so, so therefore you've got... You know, you're fundamentally taking three individual personalities and you bring them together and go, right, we need to find the common place where we all conform. And that's a really difficult process because it's emotional. It's emotional attachment. And that's one thing that you can never do in in your in consultancy is be too emotionally detached because then you become blinkered to certain things and therefore your judgment is not accurate. And I think that's one of the... I learned that a while back because I used to get so passionate about it and, you know, your clients say, oh, I don't like that. You go, what do you mean you don't like that? You know, and you're like... My boss they say, talking. kill your darlings. Yeah, it's really... Yeah. And was, this was the first time. No, it's interesting that people would think that you were so calculated about it. Downstairs? Yeah, like, oh. what was your concept? Like, you're so calculated. It's not, yeah. oh, no, well, I've worked for... I don't know when you started Match, how many years ago, but... Yeah. This is the culmination of all my love and all, everything that I've always wanted to do. To, That's the concept. Yeah. To, to give you an idea of calculation, I wrote a manifesto, which is probably it's about 14 pages long, but it's kind of copy and images, which basically details every element of the customer experience, from the drinks to the glassware, to the doorman, to the music, to the decor, to the lighting, to the everything. I probably spent about 28 hours writing that. And rewrite it and rewrite it because fundamentally, you know, I am I'm a business owner, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a friend, I have t- so much within my life and because this means so much to me, I wanted to create a document which could provide every single member of staff, take this, read it and they go, I get it. And you feel this when you walk into the bar because everyone that works in the bar gets it. You know, they believe in it. 
they understand what it's about. You know, the ethos of it is, is really important because fundamentally, I cannot be here to, 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 to watch this evolve always. So therefore, but also it's very important for the staff members within it to be able to evolve it on their, on their own. And so they have that ownership of it and they have that pride in it because that's very important. And therefore, it's really important for me as one of the owners to provide a clear brief and to provide the it's like a business it's like a you know it's like your business ethos you know so this is what we stand for and if you understand that you you then provide some more parameters within which they can play and then it's they kind of like the cult of my lives <laughs> that you read in a good way in a good way that well, you, you read about this manifesto yeah. and you know of and course the manifesto is about pleasing yeah, yeah. people and then you so, call right? yeah. and then you're like, Exactly, that's where I was going. Now, that must have been the hardest menu, or the easiest, I guess, to write. Oh, the menu. Write. Oh, menu's easy to write. It was. Because it's like, what are all my favorite drinks? This, 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 this. But are there like a million of your favorite drinks? No, there's like, I'm very particular. They're, they're, they're like, yeah, I think they're like my favorites are my favorites. And Alan and Emma? Their favorite drinks as well? No, it's not. No, <laughs> but they all taste them and they all, they all kind of taste them. But, you know, that's that's... You know, like Emma's obsessive about design. Alan's obsessive about the kind of the whole thing. Now, Alan, Alan doesn't. Alan's a very good businessman because he doesn't get too emotionally attached to anything. Whereas me and Emma, like, just we get we're the we're super passionate about our individual things, and therefore we get sucked down a rabbit hole. And, you know, like we, we just become obsessive compulsive. And if we didn't have Alan, just go stop. Then we would just overly design or just spend all the money on design or all the money on the bar and stuff like that. So that's how it balances it out, do you know what I mean? Um, you know, I'm obsessive about that customer service piece and the detail of it, you know, and there's little things, there's little Jedi things downstairs that you don't, you don't always, you, don't, you won't always see but you'll feel, you know, like the smells and the aromas and the different places and the services and the welcomes and, you know, there's like lots of little things. Even the doorman, John's handpicked, our doorman was handpicked, he wasn't even a doorman before and he was just a friend of mine I said, you'd make the best doorman ever because it's the first and last thing you see, you know, like, and so often you go into bars and they're just, they're just bad. But also, once again, the whole venue's inspired by places that I've worked and, you know, Trader really Happens, we have an iconic uh, doorman called Charles who was just, you know, like, was the epitome of the venue, like, super cool, super important. So, Do you feel like the cocktails are also kind of iconic of everywhere you work? Yeah, absolutely. You can, you can map where it works really from them. There's a heavily, there's a heavy influence from, from Match Group. Match Group was all about just twisting classics and it was about, prob- it was just about using really good quality drinks. If you want to see a modern day um, version of that, look at Satan's Whiskers. Satan's Whiskers is probably the only bar where I would order every single drink off the menu. And Satan's Whiskers is probably the only bar that I actually will always order a cocktail at. Um, just because they're really tasty, you know, it's like really tasty. I, you know, I, I, I just want to taste the drink. Um, trailer happiness, of course. Um, you know, the Crossfire Hurricanes, an adaptation of, of a classic Hurricane drink. And well, you say all the, the drinks are very tasty. I assume all the Nine Lives drinks are very tasty. The ones that I've had are very tasty. What does that mean? What does tasty mean? You know, well, it's but, so subjective. What no, tasty means? You know, like you try it. You try a drink. Oh, that's interesting. They're not interesting. The taste. Oh, that's really tasty. I don't want You know, that, that's tasty. It's, it's, okay, let me put it in terms of cooking. Italian food is tasty. 
because it is not complicated, but you're like, oh my God, the tomatoes and that sauce are amazing, that's really tasty. Or the, 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 the bread on that, or the pasta, you know, like it's, it's about, it's, it's three, four, five ingredients put together, but the ingredient they put in there is really, really good. And you go, oh, that, that, that tomato's really good. You know, that to me is, is tasty. It's not about, a, I'm not trying to bamboozle you, you know, like it's really, really simple. And I think when you get very simple drinks, that's when they're really, really clever. You know, that's the important thing. It's just simple drinks, cleverly put together. Well, you're making me thirsty talking mm-hmm. about all this. Can we go down and have a drink? Yeah, we can do, yeah. yeah. All right. Cool. Tom had so much to say that even 45 minutes were not enough to get through everything. He has promised to return next year, so look out for part two. As I said, it was amazing to have him on the show. Tom's suggestion for our cocktail of the week is what he calls the Old English. He's given us the recipe for a batch, so you can make it and invite all your friends around to share it. You'll need two tablespoons of marmalade, 50 mLs of runny honey, 250 mLs of boiling water, 50 mLs of Campari, 10 dashes of Angostura bitters, and 450 mLs of a rich fruity scotch, such as Highland Park 12 Years or Singleton of Dufftown, something like that. Add the marmalade, honey, and boiling water and mix it together in a jug until dissolved before allowing to cool. Strain off any bits from the marmalade and mix in the bitters, Campari, and whiskey. Pour into a bottle and store in the fridge until required. When serving, pour over cubed or cracked block ice and garnish with an orange twist. Tom says this drink makes a great after-lunch or dinner digestive, perfect for Christmas Day. Remember, you can find this and all the recipes for my cocktails of the week on alushlifemanual.com, where you'll also find all the ingredients in our shop. Next week this time, hopefully, you'll be surrounded by loved ones. On Boxing Day every year, we usually have panettone French toast with a chaser of ginger vodka. Now I'll definitely add in an old English. If you didn't guess, this means Lush Life Podcast will be taking a break over the holiday season. But we'll be back in 2018 with ways to make your dry January a little more exciting. Hint, seed lip. We return on January 9th, so use this time to catch up on old posts and try out a few of the recipes we have on the site. That's what I'll be doing. So until next time, bottoms up and Happy New Year. Thanks for listening to the Lush Life Podcast, the sister of a Lush Life Manual. For more information and links to everything you heard, plus a bit more, please visit alushlifemanual.com. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde. All things in moderation, including moderation. And always drink responsibly. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. Lush Life is produced by Evo Terra. And I'm your hostess, Susan Schwartz. I'll see you at the bar.